I want to share with you, uh, we've been uh, looking at the, uh, the person of Abraham and studying his life in the book of Genesis. We're going to conclude this uh, series this morning, um, and we're going to come to the table, and I hope that our hearts are ready to receive what God has for us. But we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 22, and I'll invite you to turn there in your Bible. It'll also be on the screen, but I, I love it when people bring their Bible to make sure I'm, I'm accurate, not, not uh, cheating or something. So please uh, stand and uh, let's receive this word together. Genesis 22, would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Beginning here, Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took, him, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants. They set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Well, last Sunday, we saw that Abraham was called the friend of God. He longed for intimacy with God and because he was God's friend we saw that he had the capacity to pray to God and God heard his prayers and God remembered his prayers for others but as we studied Abraham we've seen that he was also a person with a promise God had promised through him that he would become the, that of a great nation and through him he would bless the world and so Abraham has promised a son but boy, did that promise take its sweet time. At ripe old ages, finally, Abraham and Sarah have a son, and the Bible tells us that they named him Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Now, remember Sarah, last week we talked about this at the tent, when she overheard that she was about to become pregnant, she laughed. But it turns out that God has the last laugh, and he uh, gives them a son and of course when he comes this son that had been waited for so very long you know that that in this heart of hearts Abraham had to cherish that little boy they hunted and they fished and they teased each other Abraham taught him about sheep herding and shared his view of politics and talked about the wonder of the God he had come to know Abraham told him what God had promised that, that Isaac you are going to be the beginning of a great nation and God is through you going to bless the entire world and then comes Genesis 22 God the friend of Abraham the God who made all these promises to him again and again and the Bible says God tests Abraham well you talk about a test take your son your only son whom you love Isaac and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you now I want you to know right off the bat here it's kind of interesting that God requests Abraham to do this but in the original language it seems to me this is almost a sad pleading it's more of a pleading than a, even a command. Please, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. It's as if God himself can barely stand this. Now, of course, this is very disturbing for us to hear. I mean, really. You and I know the kindness and the goodness of God. We, we have the Bible's full revelation of God's love and activity. But think about it. Abraham did not have the full record of God's love and concern. He didn't have the Old Testament to read. He didn't have the New Testament, never mind, to understand the extent of God's character and his faithfulness. 
What Abraham did know is he knew about the other gods in the region there. And by the way, they regularly called for the sacrificing of one's child. In Leviticus, for instance, God condemns anyone who would sacrifice their children to the god Moloch as detestable and wicked. But Abraham doesn't know that. Abraham is at a point where he hears this and he has to wonder, is my God like all the other gods? I thought I knew him. I I thought he cared about me. I thought he would keep his promise. Have you ever had those thoughts? But what we learn is, is this is a test, an incredibly difficult test of faith. Sometimes we are tested to see what kind of God we really believe in. Now, Abraham has been through some rough times with God, and I'm sure there were times of doubt, but this had to be the toughest, darkest time of doubt Abraham ever faced. God asks Abraham to destroy the only visible sign of the fulfillment of God's promise that he has. Amazingly enough, the text says that early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I cannot imagine how much he suffered through that night, but when daylight came, he was determined to go to Mount Moriah and obey the God he had been walking with. Now, I admit right off the bat, this is a poor comparison. But last year in September, my oldest son, Caleb, got married to a beautiful young lady named Megan. Maybe some of you have met her. We were excited, of course, just to know that someone was willing to take him off our hands, but we were also pleased to know that she was going to become a part of our family. And yet, I found myself on that wedding day in September. Of course, I was performing the ceremony, and wouldn't you know it, while I'm trying to perform the ceremony, I'm struggling to keep my composure. I become this blubbering idiot, as I want to do, and I could barely make it through the vows and the the message, trying to hold back the tears and contain myself. Because as much as this was a good day, I also realized I was losing something. My boy had become a man, and it would be different. Now, Abraham was giving up so much more, I can't even conceive. He cuts the wood, he packs the donkey, he takes his son and two servants, and he heads to Mount Moriah. When he gets there, and the Bible says it was a three-day journey, I, I wonder the significance of that. He leaves the servants behind and makes his way a little farther. Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood and placed it on his son. Isaac, uh, and he himself carries the knife and the fire. Isaac speaks up and says to his dad, Father, yes, my son, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, I want to just say this here this morning, and I I hope you hear my heart. 
It occurred to me that, that they had offered sacrifices before together. Isaac was not a stranger to worship with his dad. He didn't say, why are we carrying this wood? Where are we going? Why do we have to do this? In other words, they had worshiped together before. It was not unusual. And I just find that to be a reminder as a, as a parent, our children should not be surprised by the routine of worship. They, they should understand what happens in our home on the Sabbath. This is what we do. This is how we worship. And, and I see that the, one of the great temptations of our day is we let other things crowd out our commitment to God for worship. And, and I want to tell you, Mom and Dad, that is a form of religious instruction. We can easily communicate that there are other things that, that take priority before the Lord. But Isaac knows how this works. He recognizes that something is different. What about the lamb? Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And don't you know Abraham had to be choking back the tears, still wondering and believing that God's promise is true. Now, of course, when we read this story, we feel the intensity and the tension is thick. How could Abraham do this? How could God ask him to do this? Hebrews eleven seventeen explains, I think, what was going through Abraham's mind, and I want you to listen to this carefully. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac your offering will be blessed. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Think, think about that. Abraham's faith was so strong that even though he had never seen it happen before, he believed that his, his son was killed, God could bring him back from the grave. It's the third day. And so Abraham ties up his son, puts him on the altar. Isaac is surely confused and upset. Abraham is weeping and I believe pleading with God. But he raises the knife and suddenly he is interrupted by the angel of the Lord who cries out Abraham, Abraham that, that repetition there indicates that sense of urgency but never before was there a more welcome interruption to worship than that moment and Abraham responds here I am in my brokenness and confusion here I am do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God and would not have withheld your son, your only son. And Abraham looks up and there in the thicket is a ram. And Abraham calls that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And then God reaffirms his promise one more time. 
I want to share this morning a couple of lessons with you that I think are fairly simple but important for us to wrestle with. And the first one is this. Listen, my friends, your faith will be tested. Your faith in God will be tested. Don't be surprised. James 1:12 tells us, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, when you sign up for a college class, you know there are gonna be tests in order to get that degree. They don't, don't typically give you the degree unless you go to Michigan or something like that. You know, what, what did the Michigan football player get on their SATs? Drool, drool. Uh, <laughs> that's mean, isn't it? Yeah, no. You want to drive? You take a test, a written test, and then a driver's test to get that license. But it's important we understand the purpose of God testing us. God doesn't test us so that we can earn our salvation. You pass the test so you get in. That's, that is a free gift of God. We need to know that. I also do not believe that God is testing us to find out how much faith we have. He knows our hearts. But there is indication in Scripture the purpose of testing is, is at least twofold. First of all, it, it brings about maturity in our lives. Again, back to James chapter 1, verse 3. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perse let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there is a sense where God allows you to go through that strain, that stress, to develop a spiritual muscle. And we could develop that, but I need to move on. But the second lesson, the second test that comes is, I believe, to provide a testimony, a positive testimony to others. When you go through that difficulty, when you go through that trial, you're able to comfort others who've gone through the same thing. I want to show you a picture of a man this morning. Uh, this is Leonard Fitch. Now, you've never heard of him. He owns Fitch's IGA in Wilmore, Kentucky. It's a little grocery store right in the heart of Wilmore where thousands of people right now are descending on that little town to be a part of God's working there at Asbury University. And if you ever go to Wilmore, you've got to stop in to Fitch's IGA. You'll get some, uh, what, what's, the, what's the soda pop they always, uh, what is that? What is it? Ale 81. Uh, you know, that's like the, that's the big thing they have down there. But you can find some Ale 81, but you will not find alcohol in that store. You won't find any tobacco either, because, uh, and this is Kentucky, it is a tobacco state. Uh, he doesn't sell lotto tickets uh, in the store. Um, I noticed uh, here, He's closed on Sunday, I knew that, and then he's got a sign there that says, we serve a great God. You can't see it there, but he's a witness. 
he prays for people in his store regularly. In Wilmore, uh, he's been known if he finds out that uh, someone has lost a loved one or someone's going through a difficult season financially, it's not unusual to hear the rustling on someone's porch and he drops off a bag of groceries. And you know, there's been a test there. He could have made a lot more money, done a lot of things. But this is a picture, the, the, the previous one, is a picture of him talking to a New York Times reporter. As I saw one Asbarian post this week on social media, he said, you know, one doesn't expect to go to Asbury to do theological studies and wind up finding the local grocer to be the most impactful person. But he shaped me. And there's no wonder, he said, why there's a revival breaking out across the street from his store. He's thrown out plenty of seed to bear fruit. You go down to Wilmore. I'm going to tell you why there's revival there. You go down to the, to the heart of Wilmore and that, that Mary and I were just amazed the last time we were there. Every other uh, downtown Every other place, it seems, is a, is a prayer office, a prayer uh, chapel. Right downtown, come in, pray. Why do they have revival? They want it. They were expecting it. They were believing for it. You see, when you pass the test, and, 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 and Leonard Fitch is just one of those examples, you become that witness for others. First Peter 2.12 says, you live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Is anyone going through a test today? Does anyone need faith? You might be going, one, going through one like, like Abraham or Job, a test of suffering. But you know, tests can come in several different forms. One big test for so many of us, I think, in our culture, is the test of prosperity. You know, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I got to tell you, there's not too many people in this room that don't fit that category. Thomas Carlyle noted, for every man you can find who can withstand prosperity, you can find a hundred who can withstand adversity. There's something about success and finances that can draw people away from God. In Scripture, you see those who could pass the test of suffering, but they couldn't stand the test of success. King Saul. King David. King Solomon come to mind. You know, when your stock goes up, when the retirement is easy, when your name gets in the headlines, when your company does well, can you still put him first? Can you still be generous? Can you trust him and not yourself? Can you still be humble? 
You know, it's difficult to climb the ladder of success and not lose your spiritual equilibrium. I hope uh, maybe you've been engaged to some degree with what God is doing down at the Asbury campus and now gratefully, thankfully, he's, he's doing that on other campuses too. On Friday, uh, I joined in with other members of my class of 92, the messenger class on Zoom and we heard several reports about what God is doing and gathered together to pray for the campus and pray for the leaders and the staff, the students. It's been an amazing kind of few days here. I think it's over 250 hours of nonstop worship and prayer and confession. What strikes me about what God has done there, though, is humility and the hunger and desire for his presence Worship leaders that you and I know have offered to come and lead. And the college said, you know, we think the students are doing okay. Preachers who are, you know, known and get the headlines, they've said, hey, can we come and share? And again, no thanks. Uh, the media outlets have said, hey, we'd like to come and do a story and really make this blow up. That's okay. Jesus has taken center stage and somehow he's enough. Now, most of you have never been in Hughes Auditorium. It's an old building. The chairs are wooden. There are no cushions on the seats. The floor is concrete. There are no dim lights. They aren't even using projection systems on the screen for words. The worship team is not on center stage and they're using a piano, maybe a drum, or what is that, box drum or something, and, and, and a guitar. No one seems to be in charge except for the Holy Spirit. Sarah Baldwin, who is the Dean of Students, she graduated the year after Mary and me, uh, said, we've had a baby, and we didn't even know we were pregnant. And we're managing all of this off the cuff. Jesus is leading, and somehow that's enough. You see there, some of you, I talked about being weepy last week. Some of you thought, you know, I was going through a crisis of sorts, and maybe I was in one sense, but what was really, what I was weepy about is that God was showing up and making a difference, and, and the revelation of his glory just brought me joy. Because there is this truth. Your faithfulness to God will be rewarded. You see, Abraham received the promise. When you keep praying and you keep longing for God, I'm going to tell you something. You will get him. Because God's faithfulness to us is always through Jesus. Abraham, take your son, your only son, But one day we learn that God is so different than other gods. <laughs> he, 
He doesn't call us to sacrifice our children on an altar physically. No, we have a God who comes to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, to die on the cross that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because 2,000 years later, the son of Abraham would come to Mount Moriah, the same place, Jerusalem. And he would carry the wood on his shoulders. They called it a cross. He would be pierced by a sword and he would die for the sins of the world. You know what Jesus said? He said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You know, so often we want the things that God gives when the reality is the only thing that God wants to give us is ultimately himself. We want his gifts, but the question really is, do we want him my friends, if everything is stripped away in your life, and sometimes God does that. God just sometimes strips everything away, all the props, all the things that we think are essential. And when it seems that the only thing you have left is the promise of God, what do you have? Well, if you have him, it's more than enough. Do you have him this morning? Are you willing to go through the test if the promise is fulfilled in it? God wants to give us this morning himself. I've been living in this passage in Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You need revive this morning? Humble yourself and he will lift you up. Father, as we prepare for this table, I pray, Lord, that we would confess our need for you. Right now, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. The reason we need Jesus is because he is the only one who could die for our sins. He is a savior. As we prepare to come to this table, would you confess your sins to him right now? Would you just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart? Lord, I may have failed the test. I need you. What is that sin that you're grappling with?
Are you willing to give it to him and be cleansed and renewed in his spirit? One of the one of the reasons I think I get so weepy when I think about what's happening right now at Asbury is in 1992, the Lord did something in my heart. It was my senior year. And he very clearly told me that I needed to confess my sin in a public sense. I was kind of a public figure. And I didn't want to do it. And I thought, Lord, no, anything but that. But the dean came up to me after I'd been at the altar. He said, Jeff, you've been on my heart. And I think the Lord has laid something on your heart that you need to share tomorrow in chapel. And that was confirmation. And I wrestled through the night. But I said, Lord, I'm yours. And so I stood up in that group of students right before the prof began to preach and I made a confession and I realized something in that moment that I was not to be called to be a confessor of sin but confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and I do that today that Jesus Christ is Lord and I confess how much I need him in my life and we need him in our church. And you know, God did something very similar in 1992. Service was over. I wept like a baby. And then students didn't leave. And they began to confess to one another and sing and praise. And that that service lasted from Friday morning to Tuesday morning 127 hours I think poured out before the Lord saying we need you Lord do it again here in our midst we don't need lights and we don't need things that that will distract we just need you Will you be enough? God, have your way in this place.